Father in heaven, I want to thank you for my friends. I want to thank you for the opportunity just to, to gather early in the morning, just to consider what your word has to say for uh, to us. I pray, Lord, that it be more than just an intellectual exercise, but it be a time where you capture our hearts. Father, we thank you that uh, as we take a look at this uh, rich book and consider what it means for our lives, Lord, we thank you that um, just for the incredible truths of what was accomplished for us on the cross and who we are in Christ as a result of that and the security we can enjoy in knowing that our salvation uh, is sealed for those who have placed their trust in Jesus and in him alone. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I know some guys are going to be making their way in, but we'll let them walk in. But, um, you know, recently I've had a lot of fun just enjoying this weather, getting outside uh, with my kids. And for whatever reason, right now we're on a uh, kick of just playing wiffle ball together. And so all of us are outside and we have the wiffle ball bat. And you know, I went to Sports Authority and got one of those big old buckets so I don't have to chase two balls every two seconds, you know, but just to pitch and pitch and pitch and um you know, monkey see, monkey do. So as the older siblings are, are swinging and having fun, my uh, third child, uh, Ellie, she's just three years old. She's excited. She wants to get there and swing. And, and so uh, mom will pitch. And, and Ellie, her whole theory right now is if I just do this, certainly I'm going to hit one. So she's just doing this the whole time. No consideration for any timing or anything. It's just as fast as she can, just do this. And so what I've tried to teach her is just how to swing that bat. And so I'll stand up from behind and, you know, I'll come behind her like this. And she's yet to connect on one by herself, right? So I stand up there and mom pitches and I come around and I swing and she hits it every single time. Every single time. Now, for her, we make her feel like a champion, right? Ellie, you hit the ball. Run. Run to first. You know, and she is just beaming so excited. But in reality... Who really hit that ball? Well, I did. Because there's no way she could hit that ball on her own. The only way she's hitting that ball is because I'm coming behind her, and it's my timing, it's my eye and hand coordination. Um, It has very little to do with Ellie's giftedness or ability. Now, she's able to participate, but she's not hitting that ball. As we open up the book of Ephesians, this is a incredible book that is rich in truth, especially those first three chapters we've been reading over the past several days. As you walked in, uh, you got a handout from Dr. Constable's notes that, incidentally, if you're on the journey, you should have received that by email as well, but we want to just print it out for you so you can have an understanding of the background, because we always talk about, when we talk about the six C's and those steps, the importance of determining the context. And I don't want to spend too much time there because we've done that in the past. We've talked about determining the context and gathering the clues. And and you guys have been practicing this each day. And, you know, some people have said to me, hey, this seems like a lot of work every day. And I'd say it is a lot of work every day. And I want to relieve people of the burden of feeling like, hey, you've got to follow every single step every single day. I doubt many of you are trying to do that. But we do want those steps to be ingrained in your mind so that when you come to a passage of Scripture, you can go, hey, What's the first thing I need to do here? I need to understand the background. I need to understand the context. And then to start asking yourself the question, you know, how, what do I see here? What are the clues? What are the things that are repeated? What are the key ideas? How would I divide this text? How would I title this text? 
How would I, what other passages of scripture inform my thinking so that I can rightly interpret this? And then, you know, what are some, what do other people say? And we talked about consulting outside sources and saw the significance of that last week when we do that and we understand more about what slavery meant in that, in, during that day and that age. How it was very different than perhaps our thinking and just considering, uh, American history. And, and then we talk about, um, in, in those steps, you know, drawing conclusions and then the, eventually, and then most importantly, the so what? Now, after we learn all that, how does it change our thinking? How does it change our lives? The way we relate to one another, what we think about the Lord, um, and our practice every day. The book of Ephesians is a very, very rich book of, of truth. In fact, we're going to look today at uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 14. So if you would, just turn there. Ephesians 1, we're going to look at 3 through 14, which in the Greek text is one long sentence. It is one long sentence, 3 through 14. Now, in English, depending on your translation, it's broken up into several sentences. But in Greek, it's just, it is one, he would, Paul would fail English, right? Because it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, the English teacher would take that red pen out and just go, note, break, note, break, note, break. You need to break, break, break. And so, but Paul goes on and on and on. And he's going to talk about the rich blessings we have in Jesus Christ. And because we've read Colossians, you're going to see some parallels between Colossians and Ephesians. Whereas uh, Colossians, the emphasis there was that Jesus Christ is the head of the body. Body being the church, the people of God. Paul compares all of us, those who have trusted in Christ, to a body. And um, he does that in 1 Corinthians as well. But in Colossians, he's going to stress that Christ is the head. He's the authority of the body, of the community of believers. In Ephesians, now he's going to focus on, on the body of Christ. And there's some similarities between the two books and, and some themes that are repeated. A, a broad picture of the book of Ephesians that would be really important to understand here is that it, it's divided neatly in the first three chapters and, the, and then the final three chapters. There's six chapters here. In the first three chapters, there's not one command, not one imperative. Nothing in, in, in one through three will you see that Paul is telling us you need to do something. But yet in chapters four through six, there are 35 commands, 35 imperatives. And so there's significance to that because in chapters one through three, he's going to talk about our wealth in Christ. And in four through six, he's going to talk about our walk. Or another way of saying that in chapters one through three, he's going to talk about doctrine. And in four through six, he's going to talk about our duty as believers. He's going to talk about our position in Christ in 1 through 3, and in 4 through 6, our practice as Christians. Essentially, the way to look at this is 1 through 3 is what God has done for us, and then in 4 through 6, what we're to do. And so, in verse 3 through 6, we see that salvation, salvation is initiated by the Father. And then in 7 through 12, we recognize that Salvation is accomplished by the Son. And then in 13 and 14, it is secured by the Spirit. Now, I'd love to take a lot of time to walk through these verses with you, which um, obviously because of the sake of time, I'm not afforded to do, but you'll have the chance to go in your small groups and, and to consider some of these passages. But if you were just to look and to break this down and just record some of the things you would see, if you were just to look at how of the great salvation we have in Christ how we have been blessed. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the, 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It is like that is the topic sentence. And then he's going to explain how we have been blessed with this great salvation, this position we have in Christ, the wealth that has been afforded to us with every spiritual blessing in the following verses. And so, what are some of the things you see? Well, in verses 3 through 6, we see that our salvation is initiated by the Father. Notice it says, verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Notice that that it is the Father who blesses us. He chooses us. He predestines us. He adopts us. And then in verses 7 through 12, we see that salvation is accomplished by the Son. That in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. That salvation is accomplished by the Son, Notice that it's he who redeems us. Christ is the one who forgives us. Christ is the one who enlightens us to the Father's will or reveals to us the Father's will. And Christ gives us an inheritance. And when you read through here, you'll see terms that should make you pause. There's, some, there's a lot of questions and a lot of terms in here, a lot of questions I'm sure that are raised when you read words like predestined or chose. Those are words that cause a lot of confusion for many of us. And, and I just want to point you to the several series and, and talks that we've done in the past. If that's something that captures your heart or has raised questions for you in the past, we'd love to dialogue with you. We have equipping classes that deal with that, that answer that question. But specifically, when Todd did his series on Malachi, you can go to our website and you can see um, a whole message he, he gave on the, the issue of election and predestination. What it is, what it's not. And so I want to, I want to point you there um, to his series on Malachi. And then notice that um, our salvation is secured by the Spirit. Verse 13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our, of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Notice he says that we were sealed, that we are secured by the Spirit. You see, we, um, we are uh, saved by grace. That salvation is initiated by the Father, but it is accomplished by the Son, and it is secured by the Spirit. We are much like Ellie. We're up there, we're holding the bat. It feels as if we're participating, but guess who is the one doing the work? Guess who's the one who's initiated our salvation, who's accomplished it for us, and guess who's the one who secures it for us? It's the Lord. 
And for us to in any way take great pride in that this is something that we figured out on our own of who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross is about as foolish as Ellie just to take great pride and go, well, I'm the one who can hit the ball every time. When in reality, she can't. And what I'm telling you, gang, is, is that because this is a work of God, what makes this so significant is that your salvation, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ as your one and only Savior, who have said, hey, I in and of myself can do nothing to earn or merit God's favor, and I have trusted in the provision of His Son, that your salvation is secure. It is secure. That there is nothing you can do to lose it. Nothing. Now think about that for a second. That there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Because it's purely a work of God. That's what, again, we talk about the importance of comparing Scripture with Scripture. So if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to just show you this idea all over again. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, notice the language here, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice those words, imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved, protected. Does that sound like something that we can lose? No. And Scripture's clear on this. First, Peter, First John chapter five, I write, verse thirteen says, "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life." A while back, I got a chance to share the gospel with a, a loved one of mine um, who was in her late eighties at the time, and just to sit down and and just to walk through the gospel with her, and for her to to, to listen and and um, and to kind of take in what I was saying and. She'd grown up in, in church and kind of been around, um, around church, but she had never had anyone sit down with her and explain to her the security and the assurance she could have as a believer in Jesus Christ. I just thought, what a tragedy. This great truth that when we place our trust in Christ, that there's nothing that can jeopardize our salvation. So how many of us live with that great sense of security? How many of us live with that gratitude and the recognition of what God has done for us and live with that that worship of Him who has secured our salvation? As you read through the book of Ephesians, you're going to see many great truths. And and I've just pointed out one to you. Um, And some themes and some key ideas which were repeated several times, which I just want you to take note of, is, is the phrase, in him, in him. Just jot some of these down. So when you're reading through these chapters, you could just mark them. Because they're repeated time and time again. And just in these verses from 3 through 14, you see either in Christ or in him 
repeated um, ten times here. But in the book, it's repeated 18 times. You see the idea of in the heavenly places repeated five times. The word mystery and what Christ has done for us and how the, uh, the mystery has been revealed is a, is a theme which Paul deals with. The idea of to walk with Christ is repeated in chapters 4 through 6 several times. And so as you're reading through chapters 1 through 6, I just want to encourage you to look for those things which are repeated. Look for those things which um, are emphasized. And, and just to consider the implications. Looking at just these verses, 3 through 14, some thoughts that I wrote down are these. One, that salvation is a work of God. It's a work of God. Again, initiated by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and secured by the Spirit. What a great passage for those who struggle with um, uh, the idea of the Trinity. What a great passage to take them to. What a great passage for those who wonder, does the Bible teach the Trinity? It's clear right there. And the role of the Father, the role of the Son, and the role of the Spirit, all doing a work that is divine. Second thing is that salvation is by grace alone. It is solely a gift. It's by grace alone. Third, that salvation is secure. That nothing can jeopardize our salvation. And that finally, that our self-worth is not defined by worldly accomplishments or failures. But by who we are in Christ. Our self-worth is not defined by our worldly accomplishments or our failures. Where we work, how much we make, what we've done. But our self-worth is defined in God's eyes by what Christ has done and our position in Him. And chapters 1 through 3 just flesh out that identity that we have in Christ. We have so great a salvation which is secured for us, initiated by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and secured by the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Lord, I want to. Um, I just thank you for uh, a brief time to to consider what it is you've done for us. And I thank you, Lord, that um, you have revealed yourself to us uh, through your Word. And I pray that as we consider the great salvation that we have and the security we have in knowing, Lord, that nothing can can take that away from us, Lord. I I pray that we would walk uh, today humbly before you and before others. And be willing to, um, and Father, just to share with others what a great God you are. Um, Lord, we, we pray that you would bless the time that we have in our groups. You would sharpen our thinking. And, um, and just uh, give us insight, Lord, into the implications of what it is we study and how we can apply it to our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.